Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always. Welcome to our podcast. We also like to thank all the listeners that listen on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, uh, iHeartRadio, all these others that carry our podcasts. Uh, we'd like to thank you for your dedication and your support. Uh, also, those that listen to what we call the simulcast, which is what we share on the YouTube channel, which doesn't get the major part of our traffic. We usually, our podcasts are really through the syndication, through the other outlets, uh, but we do like to share them on our YouTube channel along with our videos. That way, it gives you one more option to be able to go listen to, but we understand that that's a little harder platform to listen when you're out in the field, and we know that you like to listen from our website. Um, we get the most listeners from our actual website, believe it or not. We track the analytics so we know when you actually click on the listen button on our website which is masterthenec.com that's where we get the most listeners uh, believe it or not okay anyway today's episode is a continuation on the one family dwelling calculations we previously did a podcast and it was dealing with the standard method which is the general method to use uh, especially on exams unless they state to use an optional method it's the standard method we walked you through that it was pretty simple staged process um, you just simply followed the process down we showed you how to use all the calculations and do everything to solve that uh, and when we did a neutral, we showed you that you had to use the standard method to size a neutral conductor uh, or the grounded conductor uh, for both the optional or standard method. But since we did the standard, it's now time to do an optional method. And we're going to use all the same values that we use during the standard method in order to do this optional method. Now, it's a one-family dwelling. We have the same parameters that we're going to talk about in today's episode. And today, the optional method goes a lot quicker than the standard method. And I'm going to hope at this point that you did listen to the standard method calculated load presentation podcast that we did previously. That way, this one will be slightly better for you to understand because you know where these values are coming from. And so it's a little easier for you to get. So... Hopefully you've done that. If not, stop right now, listen to this one later, go back and listen to the standard method one we have as well, and then you can come back and listen to this one and you'll be able to get a better understanding of what we're talking about. All right, so today we're going to talk optional method, one family dwelling, but again, remember this could also apply to the individual dwelling unit of a multifamily building if you need to solve what the actual load is going to be for that dwelling unit so that you can size the feeder to that dwelling unit, then this is what you do for that individual unit. Uh, again, uh, that's how you get all the usable values here that when you end up having to do something like a multifamily calculation where you might have 6 or 12 or 20 units, then you need all these values to be able to use that to solve your multifamily. So if you know how to do the standard or optional, then it makes it easier for you to do the, the multifamily calculation, whether you're using the standard method or an optional method, either one. Okay. So we really have to start with the foundation. And the foundation is understanding how do we do the dwelling units or one family dwellings or each individual unit of a two family dwelling, how we come up with these loads. And that's what we're doing here as part of this podcast series. All right. So today, optional. So for, let's do some givens. First thing we want to remember is that we have a single family dwelling. 
and it was 2,500 square feet. It's the outside dimensions. Again, we're not including anything like open porches, garages, unused or unfinished spaces, not adaptable for future use. In other words, it's like an attic that doesn't have a high enough ceiling or the joists or floor joists are not adequate enough to support any load, so you really couldn't use it for anything. So then that is really not adaptable for future use. So you don't have to consider that square footage. Um, a basement, if it's unfinished, it sure is adaptable for future use. So you would have to count that square footage. Uh, all those goodies uh, still are in play. All right. And so in our example, we're trying to find the general lighting and receptacle load. Now, if you listen to the presentation under the standard method, you understood that when we say general lighting and receptacle loads, that we really are taking into account all of those general use receptacles, okay? The, which, the ones that you would be, you know, spread around your room and things like that. Um, obviously, we have to take into account small appliance brand circuits and laundry brand circuits. But when we're talking about those general use brand circuits, the, the general use receptacles, that general lighting, then all of those would fall underneath the allowance here for the general lighting and receptacle loads. Now, what's different with the optional method is that we're not going to be under 220.12. We're going to be under 220.82B1. And the reason we're going to be under that is because we're dealing in part four, the optional method. Now, in an exam, you might be required to use the standard method. But if it ever tells you to consider the optional, then you need to know how to use it. The other reason that you need to know how to use the standard anyway is because, again, when you're doing the grounded conductor or neutral calculation for a specific unit, dwelling unit or single family dwelling, you can't use an optional method for that. Okay, You're going to have to use the standard method. So you have to be able to figure out how to do this application. But there is no optional method for calculating a neutral conductor. Okay, So you have to understand how to do both standard and optional. So you cannot make it through your life doing the optional method in order to be able to also size a granite conductor because you're going to have to know how to do the standard to be able to do that. So what better way uh, is to learn to do both of them, right? That's what we're here for. So let's do the optional today. So I'm going to give you some of the givens that came from our previous podcast. Um, so first things first, if we look at 220.82, you'll see that we're talking about feeder and service loads. In our case, we're talking about service load today. And it says this uh, section applies to a dwelling unit Having the total connected load served by a single 12240 volt or a 208Y120 set of three wire service or feeder conductors with an ampacity of 100 amperes or greater. Okay, so it can be a 12240 volt single or it can be a 208Y120 single. Okay, it's derived from a three phase, but it is single phase application here. Set of three wire service or feeder conductors with an ampacity of 100 or greater. So we're dealing 100 and greater, right? So we know we're there. We, we are in the realm of being able to utilize 220.82. Now it goes on to say, it shall be permissible to calculate the feeder or service load in accordance with this section. And when we say this section, we're talking about 220.82. This is the section. Um, instead of the method specified in part three of this article means that I'm allowed to use this optional method rather than the standard method, which is part three, okay? Now, the calculated load shall be the result of adding the loads from 220.82B and C. So you add them together. It says feeder and service entrance conductors whose calculated load is determined by this 
optional calculation shall be permitted to have the neutral load determined by 220.61. Okay? All right, so in this case, um, that's just basically telling you we're going to size the neutral, and ultimately, you're still sizing the neutral using the standard method, okay? Because there is no optional method for neutral conductor sizing, okay? And then we'll talk neutral again. I gave you a little insight to that when we did the standard method, but I'll show you some things also when we're doing the optional method that'll, that'll help you out, okay? Um, and again, with the optional method with the neutral, again, maybe I won't re-go over how I did because, again, remember, it's the same as doing the standard method. Nothing different. So you still have to know how to do the standard method, okay? All right, so let's get into it. So number one, we're dealing with 220.82B1, okay? And then that's going to give us the general. Now, there's two pieces, B and C here, and that's all we're going to use here is B and C to solve these equations, okay? All right. So... General loads, it says, and we're under, again, for you that are following along, we're on page 78 of the PDF, or we're on page 75 of the hardbound edition. It says, the general calculated load shall not be less than 100% of the first 10,000 VA, KVA, excuse me, plus 40% of the remainder of the following loads. Okay, and then we're dealing with item one, item two, item three, and item four. So these are the loads we're considering at this first stage of the game. First stage of the game. All right, so number one says, you know what? Unlike the standard method where I had to go to 220.12 and I ended up going to the table, since we know that we're doing dwelling units, because that's what the header is or the charging statement under 220.82 is, dwelling units, then immediately it tells us to use 3VA per square foot for the general lighting and receptacle uh, use. Okay, we got that. It also reminds us, again, use the outside dimensions for our square footage, and we did that with the standard method, so nothing else changes. Again, hopefully you listen to the standard method before you listen to the optional method so that I don't have to rehash all this over again. Uh, the next one, it says, don't include open porches, garages, unused, or unfinished spaces that are not adaptable for future use. Okay, An attic, for example, that doesn't have headroom or the, the floor joists are too small, or in this case, I guess it would be the ceiling rafters for the room below it. Whatever it is, if they're too small, they can't support storage weight, then it really isn't adaptable for future use, and I don't have to consider that square footage. Okay, But if I had an unfinished basement, it is adaptable for future use, then I have to count that square footage because I could finish it off, and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to put a new service in, right? So I've got to account for that expansion. All right. All right. So that's the first one. The next one says, you know what? Those small appliance brand circuits and that laundry circuit, you're going to count for those as well, just like we did in the standard method. So in our case, uh, there was a minimum of two small appliances and it was a minimum of one laundry circuit. So you're going to have to account for those applications. Okay. So that's what we've got here. All right. So in our case, let's kind of work through this because it's a little different. So as we're working through this, I'm going to work it together so you see how easy this is. And it's almost put down logically on paper in the code. They did a great job. So first thing is at 3VA. Well, we knew that it was 2,500 square feet. So we do 3 times 2,500. That's 7,500. Again, the same way we did this for the standard method. We write that down. The next, we knew there was a minimum of two small appliance brand circuits. That's where the B2 here comes into play. So it's 1,500 times two, that is 3,000. Now remember, if you have more than two, you gotta account for the more than two. But in this case, we only have the minimum of two. 
Next is the larger brand circuit. We only did the one, so it's 1,500 times one. So that is 1,500. So you add the three together, okay? When you add those three together, that came out to 22,328. Now, we didn't do anything with 220.42. We don't have to do the 35%, 25%, subtract the first 3,000. We're not doing that. That was a standard method. We're doing the optional method, baby. We're just adding things up, okay? So, 2,200.328. Write that down as a temporary value for right now, okay? Next, let's go on to the next thing. What's the next thing? Well, the next thing is the appliances, now, in the appliances, it's pretty darn simple. We take the nameplate value. That's it. So the water heater was 4,000 kW. Remember, we convert that. It's, it's the same as equal to VA. So it's 4,000 VA. The dishwasher was 1,500 VA. The clothes dryer was 4,000 VA. Now, why don't we not take 5,000 for this? Because in the standard method, it was 5,000 or nameplate, whichever is greater. In the optional method, we're strictly pulling the nameplate. That's why it's a much easier calculation. So we take the 4,000, and that's what we put down. The disposer, we still had to do that conversion because it was a third horsepower at 115 volts. We go to 430.248. We find what the the actual 7.2 amps was times 115 volts. That gave us 828 is the VA. Well, that's what we write down. The 828, that's the VA. Remember, we've got to convert those horsepowers into VA. The next was the range. Remember the range. It was 12 kW. Now, we only used 8 kW because it fell in column C at 220.55 on the standard method. But no, using the optional method, it said clearly take the nameplate. So we literally take the nameplate. So we took the nameplate rating of 12,000. Now, what did we just do? We took the water heater, the dishwasher, the clothes dryer, the disposer, and the range at nameplate value. If you look at the code and you look under 220.82B, 1, 2, 3, and 4, that's just what we did right there. All we did was take the VA per square foot. We accommodated for the small appliance and laundry. We took the nameplate rating of all of the appliances. We took the nameplate rating of the range. We took it of the dryer, and we took it of the water heater. That's it. We took those values. Now, what do we do? Okay. Well, the next step would take those values for the appliances and we add them to the values that we calculated before of the 7,500, the 3,000, and the 1,500. What do we get? We get 22,329. Okay. That's our total. Okay. For those appliances right there. All right. Now, let's double check and make sure that is the value that we've got. Actually, you know what? That wasn't. That 22,328, that's just all of our appliances. So, okay. So, you have to take the first value. That was the 7,500, the 3,000, and the 1,500. And then you keep that. And then you add up all your appliances, and that's 22,328. Now you add up all four of those. So we need we add up the general lighting and receptacle loads, which is 7,500. We add up the two small appliances with 3,000. We add up the laundry, which is 1,500. And we add up all of the appliances. You just add them all together, and that was 22,328. Add all those up together, and we end up with 34,328. Because that right now is the total sum of all four of those values that we added up. Okay, now, we're going to finish the first part of B, and that is, what do we do? Okay, 
All right? And in, in our case here, it was, it said, the first 10,000 at 100% and the remainder at 40. So usually what I like to do is take that 34,328, take 10,000 10, away from that. Just put it to the side. Just put it over. And what does that give me? 24,328. Now, that is the remainder. Okay, we already put the 10,000 aside. So that remainder we do at 40%, right? So we take that 24,328, you multiply it by 40%, and that results in 9,731, okay? Now, add that 10,000 back, and now it's 19,731. Okay, guys, write that down. That is your total for the B, the general loads. It's 19,731. Write that down. What's next? Okay, well, let's move down. For the heating and air conditioning load. Now, this is pretty simple. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six options here. You have the air conditioning and cooling, right? And we, we had that in our equation. Uh, and then you have the heating, and we have to accommodate that. Now, the difference between the standard is it simply takes it as a combination, whereas when you're dealing with the optional, you have to break it out a little bit, okay? So we have our air conditioning and cooling, okay? And it also includes heat pumps without any supplemental electric heat. So if you have a heat pump that doesn't have supplemental electrical heat, or electric heat, I should say, then you're still going to use 100% of that value for that, okay? So that's air conditioning value. So you have the different uh, applications here. Now, that was our AC. And if you go back and look in our AC, I'll just kind of refresh your memory what we were dealing with. All right, so here's where, we, here's where people get confused because you have a number of items here. Now, ours, we were dealing with a heat pump. Now, we had determined early on, even in our standard calculation, that there were non-coincidental loads. Okay, so 220.60, I believe that said they're not in, you know, I don't know if it's 220.60. I should look real quick. I'm just gonna look because I wanna be accurate. Yes, 220.60, nine coincident loads. So they are gonna be on at the same time. So in our case, our option is to compare the AC at 100%. And remember that when we did the standard method, the AC was larger, okay? It was larger automatically. So here you notice it says, number one says 100% of the nameplate of the air conditioning and cooling. So we already know we're taking that value at 100%. We've already calculated that out. Okay, we knew that was 7,613. But when we're comparing it to the heat, in our case, we're utilizing, if you're in the National Electrical Code, for this example, we're using item number three. It says 100% of the nameplate rating of the heat pump compressor and 65% of the supplemental heating for the central electric space heating system. Now, if the heat pump compressor prevents from operating at the same time that the supplemental heat is, then I get to omit, omit the heat pump compressor, and I actually will use the supplemental heat, and it still goes to 65%, okay? So in our case, it was 6,000 kW for the heat, and the, the application here was the additional air handler, which is the blower motor, which is the 667. That was the one-fourth horsepower at 115 volts, and you know how to do that, right? You go to 430.248. You find the column that deals with 115. You find the one-fourth horsepower, and that equals 667 uh, VA because you took the value there, and you did that, and you multiplied it 
by the voltage. And that's how you come up with the VA. So that was 6,667. Now, if I do that times 65%, then that's going to be obviously less still than 7,613. So I could really stop there. I could know that the AC is going to be larger. But if you wanted to work it all the way down, the 6667 times 65% is 4334. So I'm omitting the heat. I'm going to stick with the AC in this case. But remember, there's a bunch of different options here. Okay, if you have you know electric space heating, uh, like like a baseboard heat, and again you have uh, less than four of them, then you do it 65%. If you have four or more, then you can do them at 40%. So you do have some values here when you're comparing the AC, but the AC gets considered at 100%, and you get the other. Okay, all right. So that's kind of how we're doing it. And again, it's. There's just a bunch of options here. So we took the AC. So we write that down. So that's our next value is 7,613. So that is the total value for C. Now, what did it say earlier? It said to combine B and C. So it's just that simple. You take the 7,613, okay? And then you take this 19,731, which is the result of our B calculation. And together, that's 27,000. 344, okay? All right, so hopefully you got all that out of you. So that's our total, 27,344. All right, what do we do next? Well, in our case, we know that it was a uh, 27,344, and we know that the, we're dealing with a 122 40-volt application. So we're going to take the 27,344, we're going to divide that into 240, that's our voltage, and that's going to result in 114 amperes, okay? Now, now the re reality is the value is 113.9, but a can 0.5 and greater is a major, so you round it up, and that's how we got to 114. Now, what size overcurrent device do we need to protect this, uh, to handle this 114 uh, amperes, okay? What do we need? So the minimum size service rating that we'd be dealing with is going to be, well, we go to 240.6 and see what we're dealing with. So let's do that. So I go to 240.6, and I'm looking for something that's got to be able to cover the 114. Well, 110 is not going to work. So the next size up is 125. So 125, uh, but I have to have a conductor that can at least handle the 114 amperes of the load. Okay. So um, as I showed you in the other application... Uh, in the standard method, one of the things that we would do at this point would say, okay, well, if I don't want to do anything and I just need to find out what I need to, to give me 114 amperes, then one thing is people will go, and we're, again, we're not talking about any adjustment or corrections. None of that have been talking about this uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, I would encourage you to go watch or listen to my podcast or actually my video on derating demystified. It's over on our YouTube channel. You can get there from our website at masterthenec.com. And there you will see how to apply adjustment and corrections, and I go through all of that, so I don't want to rehash that here. We're simply doing loads today. Uh, and I'm assuming 75-degree column because we are over 100 amperes, and if you know anything about 110.14C, uh, it's going to tell you that, that you're going to be in a 75-degree column. Uh, so I'm in the 75-degree column based on the impasses we're working with. Uh, and so when I come down here, I need to pick a conductor that's going to give me the ability to handle... 114 amperes okay so in this case it looks like it would be a two copper 
and that can handle 115 amperes. Okay, is that going to be able to handle the 114 amps? Absolutely. Okay, so that's where we're at right there. Now, one of the things that I want to remind you is because of this service is indeed. Okay, and it's not going to make a difference in this calculation, but I want to make you aware of it again, just like we did. If you get an exam that says, give me the minimum size, you need to figure out whether or not it falls under this little thing that allows you to use 310.15b7. Now, I talked about this extensively in my derating demystified video, but I also refer to it in our standard method that hopefully you listen to before you listen to this podcast. And basically what we're saying is, if I'm dealing with a service or feeder that falls between 100 to 400 amperes, that, and I'm dealing with an application where it is a 120 to 40-volt application, okay, that's one of the things I'm dealing with, or if I'm dealing with an application where it's a 208Y120, and I'm dealing with two ungrounded conductors and a neutral conductor from a 208Y120 system, then I'm permitted to do something here, and that is to come up with a conductor's minimum size that must be maintained, and that is 83% of the service rating. Okay? So, how do I do that? Now, in this case, for the optional method, it's not going to make a difference, but we need to understand how the math works. So, in this case, what it says is go to 31015B7, and you're going to go down to B1, and it says, for services rated 100 through 400, in this case, it's rated 125, so we fall well within the scope, and it says the service conductor supplying the entire load associated with the one-family dwelling, in this case, it is, it's just only one meter hits one panel, serves all the loads. That's all we're doing in this calculation, Okay. It says it shall be permitted to have an ampacity not less than 83% of the service rating. Well, our service rating is 125. So what is 83% of that? And that is the minimum size you must be maintained. So if you do that and you go 125 times 0.83, that is 103.75. So I have to have a conductor that at least can handle 103.75 amperes. Okay, and that would be the minimum size. Well, if you go look at 31015B16, you're going to notice that previously we said what? That we needed a 2-gauge? Well, the next one smaller is a 3, and that's only good for 100. So we need to have at least 103.75. So that still would put us in the 2-gauge because that one can handle 115. So in this example, it wouldn't matter, okay? Simply wouldn't matter at all, all right? But it's important that you understand that when you have the ability to use 31015B7, that you can utilize it, okay? So on an exam, if they want to know what the minimum size would be, then that's when you can utilize 31015B7. And again, it's not an exception. It is permitted to use it, okay? So use it. Um, now, could I be larger than that? Obviously, if I just went to 31015B16, obviously it could be larger. But is it really the minimum size? Absolutely not. It's not necessarily the minimum size. So keep that in mind. All right? All right. So then we move on. And then lastly, like in the other episode, um, we sized everything. We know the ungrounded conductors are two copper. Um, next was the grounding electroconductor. If we have ground rods, again, uh, 250.66A says for ground rods, it doesn't need to be larger than a 6 AWG copper or 4 AWG aluminum. Although if it goes to a ground rod, it's driven in the earth then it's probably going to be a termination in less than 18 inches, so you wouldn't use aluminum because of that, but you typically could use copper. So it doesn't need to be smaller than a 6, 
okay, for that application, generally for the ground rod. However, uh, it doesn't have to be, but here's a neat thing. You have to look at the application for sizing the grounding electrical conductor because there might be an application, depending on what you're doing, that it could be actually smaller than a six. And so we're going to use that to give you an example here in this episode and show you this because we're dealing with a two copper. So what I want you to do at this point is go to 250.66 and look at how this works because I really didn't tell you, an exam might not tell you what exactly the grounding electrode is. And so if it doesn't tell you what it is, then you really can't use the permitted allowances in 250.66 A, B, or C. That's for concrete electrode, the ring, or the the, uh, rod pipe or plate because it didn't tell you which one it was. If it doesn't tell you that, then you're going to have to go to the table 250.66. And whereas a ground rod doesn't have to be larger than 6, well, for the ground rod. However, since I don't give you what it is here, What size is it plausible that it could be? So let's go look at that. So if you take your code book and you go to 250.66 with me, and let's look and see, since I really didn't tell you what it was as the electrode, then that would tell me that I'm going to be firmly in 250.66. And ultimately, if A, B, and C doesn't apply because they don't state otherwise, that's going to throw you down under the table 250.66. Well, if you look down here, remember we said it was a two-gauge copper? Well, you see two and smaller under this table. That is the ungrounded conductor, and that is the largest because it is a two. Then it doesn't have to be, it can be six-gauge. Now, because it is six-gauge, and when you're dealing, I mean, excuse me, eight-gauge, when you're dealing in, in those that are smaller than six, then you really do have to protect it against physical damage. So you're probably going to put it in like a Schedule 80 PVC if you want to be uh, less complicated about it because if you put it in something like EMT, then you're going to have to bond it at both ends, and that gets into all those requirements of, of, of bonding around the uh, grounding electroconductor, and that's for a whole different episode. All I'm saying is it could be an eight-gauge at this stage because we're dealing with a two-gauge as our ungrounded hot conductors, okay? Now, only drawing attention away from that is to the 250.66 to let you know that, well, if it is a ground rod, okay, then it says here, it says, shall not be required to be larger than a six, okay, to that, all right? doesn't require it to be larger than a six. But it most certainly could be smaller than a six. But then you're going to have to get into that protection. Okay? All right. So basically what it's saying for a rod, it doesn't matter whether it's a 5,000 amp service with multiple sets. If it's a ground rod, it doesn't have to be larger than a six. If it's a 100 amp service, or in this case a 125, and it's only being fed by two gauge, then as it says in table 250.66, it only has to be an eight. Okay? So an eight could go to a ground rod if that's all that's necessary, okay? Just remember that, again, it could be subject to physical damage, and, of course, then you'd have to, uh, to protect it, okay? So anyway, that's a whole different topic, and I don't want to go down today. All right, so lastly, talking about the neutral loads, again, I almost don't want to rehash this again, but 
Um, the neutral calculation is exactly the method that you do for the standard. You just do all of the neutral loads and you have to follow the standard method. So rather than to belabor this and, and go through this again, I'm going to use that as a teaser to tell you that you have to go back and listen to the podcast on standard methods of load calculations for one family dwellings. And in that podcast, I explain to you how to do the sizing of the neutral conductor. And it doesn't matter whether you're using the standard method or the optional method. You're going to size the neutral the exact same way. All right? All right. So that's how easy it is to do the optional method. Hopefully you got something out of it. You know, there's a big difference, right? The standard method took me an hour. The optional method took about 32 minutes or something like that. It is really, in real life, that's the difference. As long as you gather all those nameplates and and everything, that it's much easier to do the optional method, and the code allows you to do the optional method. Just remember, if you're on an exam, they might want the standard method unless they allow you to use the optional method, and they will tell you that in the exam itself. Just be prepared. Know how to use them both. You shouldn't have any problems. But again, that's really simple concept. Uh, if you have any questions about this, by all means, email us at info at masterthenec.com. I'm more than happy to help you out, okay? Um, if you need consulting stuff or you need somebody to tutor you for an exam or you want to take one of our courses, trust me, if you think you get a lot out of our free videos and podcasts, imagine what you'd get out of our ultimate guide to the National Electrical Code. Uh, that is a real intensive uh, 12-week course that we cover all of this type of stuff into the such detail that it's almost blazoned into your mind and help you not only to pass a test, but down the road in, in your real everyday application. And that's where it really, that's where the rubber meets the road. Can you use it when you need it? And that's the key. All right. Anyway, hope you got something out of this, folks. Till next time, stay safe and God bless. looking bright every day is another beginning